Hello, and welcome back to Think Yourself Healthy Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Barbieri. Before we dive into this episode, I just want to remind you that if you take a screenshot that you're listening and tag us on Instagram, we'll send you a 15% off discount for the eight-week Retrain Your Brain program. Just take a screenshot and tag me at Heather Barbieri RDN. Thanks for listening, and let's get right to it. Hello. On today's episode of Think Yourself Healthy, I have special guest Mimi Ellis. I met Mimi through a nutrition conference recently, and we just kind of um, really hit it off, had a lot of same same beliefs around our practices in the profession, and she has a really, really unique specialty. So not only is she a registered dietitian, but she is also a physician assistant for ear, nose, and throat. So her story is really amazing. I'm excited to bring her here today to um, kind of catch us up all things smell and taste and how this uh, impacts our nervous system and, and whatnot. So Mimi, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Heather. I'm super excited. So tell the audience a little bit about you and what qualifies you to kind of talk about loss of smell and taste outside of just being a dietitian. Well, so a few things, um, probably, you know, and, and the big area that I work um, on this with patients and clients is in the realm of uh, food and not just eat more vegetables, but how do we make things actually taste good, look good, feel good? How do we make people want to eat food that's going to support their nutrition in the face of taste and smell disturbance, um, which as you know, cause I know we've talked about this a bunch and you've done my course. Um, it's really, it's really challenging. So my first qualification, and I wish I had brought these to show you, um, when we were in the conference, I remember, uh, it was a culinary nutrition conference, right? And somebody yes. asked, you know, what credentials do you need to have? And I kind of laughed and I thought, okay, my credentials are all these cute little teeny tiny aprons I have that my grandmother used to send us from France when we were kids. And man, from, from the time we could stand up and hold a carrot peeler, we were in the kitchen cooking. So that's oh, my first that's amazing. That And that's something that majority of society has completely lost touch with. So we'll definitely yep. want to talk a little yep. bit about that. Yep. That's awesome. So, yeah. So I'm very, very grateful that I, I grew up um, in a family where we had, you know, we had meals together every night. We prepared the meals together. We spent lots of time talking about how we were going to prepare the meals and, you know, all of that. So I have, I have a lifetime of that behind me. Um, and then, um, I'm a physician assistant for the last 10 years. I've been working in ear, nose, and throat. And it was kind of ironic because I would get, patients with smell and taste disorders every now and then in the clinic before COVID. It didn't happen very often. But, um, you know, these people were so distressed because of the impact on their quality of life. And I'd be sitting there just about crying in the room with them and thinking, gosh, you know, I love food so much. I love cooking so much. I love just everything sensory um, that has to do with smell. You know, I don't know if I'd want to live if I lost that piece of myself. Mm -hmm. um, and ironically, in uh, the spring of 2017, I woke up one morning confused in my bedroom because I'm, my husband always comes out and makes coffee in the morning and I can smell it and open my eyes and go, okay, yay, this is great. I'm about to get my dopamine <laughs> all, all excited and I didn't smell anything. So I came out into the kitchen wondering what's going on. You know, did we run out of coffee? Oh, horrors. You know, how mm -hmm. could that happen? Um, and much to my dismay, I looked down and saw, you know, a full pot of freshly brewed coffee and I smelled nothing. Oh, wow. So stuck, stuck my head in the can of coffee and sniffed really hard and still smelled nothing. Uh, and of and course, I, how terrible. I think that's uh, such a ritual, you know, ritualistic part of so many people's mornings and just the routine start to their day that helped to support them and getting moving. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just such, um, you know, such a, a love. And unfortunately, having treated patients with this, I knew right away, I did the math and, oh, 
you know, I had a sinus infection three, four weeks ago. I felt fine, but pieced it together pretty quickly and was was uh, was pretty angry because I knew what was going on. And at the time, there was not a lot. Um, there was not a lot of research, mm-hmm. and the 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 thing that ENTs would tell everybody, and I, you know, I included because my supervising doc told me this is what I had to tell people. Um, was that, well, you know, it may never come back. And if it's not back in the next six months, then, you know, kiss it goodbye. It's never coming back. And now we know that is not true. I don't know where, you know, that, um, I don't know. I don't know where that um, information um, or dogma even came from. I have yet to to find a study that says anything about that six-month oh, mark. Interesting. But that what was, that's what was going through my mind because at the time we didn't know a whole lot. Right. Wow. I know yeah. this, this has to be a, just an absolutely devastating thing to experience. I myself feel fortunate because when I got COVID, I did not lose smell or taste. However, my husband had severe loss of smell and taste, which has altered his quality of life, especially being a chef. It's really had oh, wow. a negative impact on him in terms of, you know, uh, just being motivated to get in the kitchen and want to sure. create and not being able to trust and being right. more at risk of getting a, uh, you know, eating some bad food because he can't right. tell whether right. or not it's good or bad. Um, right. So in terms of quality of life, I know that it's had a huge impact on him as well as many others. One of my best friends, she developed the uh, parosmia piece of it, where everything is rotten and smells just absolutely rancid. It's had a really negative impact on the quality and kind of foods that she navigates towards, very restrictive eating as a result of this, which then we both know leads to, you know, deficiencies and other, other, you know, things uh, down regulating. So lots and lots of people have been impacted by this over the last many years. And it doesn't seem that there's going to be any relief in sight. So I know for my husband, it's been more than a year since he's lost his. Same with my best friend. So talk to the audience. Kind of tell us what you have experienced working firsthand, or we can call it on the uh, front line of loss of smell and taste. Talk to us about it. Well, you know, the the good news is, um, you know, today, unlike when I first went to college and took, you know, psychology 101, right, we were taught, you know, neurons don't regenerate, what you got is what you got. Mm-hmm. Now we know that that's not true. And there's this thing called neuroplasticity. So mm-hmm. um, what I would say to the audience is, in the face of neuroplasticity, nobody can predict your future for you. Um, and I've seen, you know, I've seen things as crazy as somebody with a head injury, 30 years after her head injury, decide, oh, I learned about this smell training thing. I don't think it's going to get better, but let me try it. Mm-hmm. Well, heck, if she didn't start to actually be able to smell something for the first time in 30 years. Wow. So wow. I would tell people, don't let anybody tell you that it's not going to get better. Um, you know, and there's no timeline. We don't know. And that's the really hard part. And I mm-hmm. think that's what makes us all a little crazy is, you know, we break a bone. We know that in about six weeks, we're going to be healed. Right. Right. With this, um, you know, the smell loss and parosmia, um, we don't know. There's people two years into this um, post-COVID loss of smell that are still not getting well. And some that are just, just now starting to get a little bit of um, olfactory information coming in after all this time. So can you talk to us and tell us a little bit about why are we losing the smell and taste? What's happening there that is causing the senses to, to, to be lost? So it, it's interesting. Um, and COVID is a weird virus because it does a combination of things that don't usually happen from um, other viruses that could cause post-viral anosmia. Anosmia just meaning, you know, lack of smell. Okay. Um, so 
it's different in that it can affect, it can affect some other aspects of our experience with food. And to tease that out a little bit, and what's important for people to know, um, is you have to get a little bit of language around this and get a handle on that. Um, when we, most people that would come into the clinic or that would work with me, client <coughs> will come in and say, you know, I can't taste anything. And I go, okay, you know, can you put a spoonful of sugar in your mouth and tell that that's sweet? Yes. Okay. Can you put a little bit of salt on your tongue and know that that's salty? Yes. Can you dab a little lemon juice or a little vinegar on there and know that that's sour? Yes. Okay. So that's true taste. Okay. And that is coming from a different neural pathway um, than what informs flavor. And flavor is actually coming from our olfaction, from our smell. Okay. So for exa the example I like to use is when my sense of smell was completely knocked out, all I had was sweet, salty, bitter, sour, and umami, the five basic tastes. That's all I could taste. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I had, if you blindfolded me and gave me an apple and a pear, similar texture, right? Mm -hmm. I couldn't necessarily tell you which one was which because I could not perceive flavor. Okay. I could get the texture. I could get, okay, it's a little sweet. It's a little bit juicy. There's maybe a little bit of tartness there, but that's all the information I could get. Mm -hmm. So for most viruses that cause post viral smell loss, just the olfactory piece would get knocked out, which is flavor. Okay. And that's a big deal, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, you have your coffee and it, you know, it just Tastes. doesn't taste nearly as delicious as it used to. But, you know, if you put some sugar in there, you might pick up the sweet. And if you put some cream in there, you might feel the creaminess or something. Mm -hmm. With COVID, um, for some people, they also lose true taste. Um, for a period of time, and that's your sweet, salty, bitter, sour umami. And for some people, they lose the um, information that comes from the trigeminal nerve. So that's the nerve that's telling you if you chew on a Thai chili pepper, for example, or what's the new thing, uh, a habanero, right? Mm -hmm. You feel your mouth burn. Your trigeminal nerve is what's bringing that information to your brain. Um, same thing with you were talking about chopping onions earlier today, right? Your eyes water. Yeah. That's yeah. the trigeminal nerve. That's not your olfaction. Oh, right? interesting. Yeah. So for some people, the trigeminal nerve and the true taste gets knocked out for a period of time post-COVID. The good news is those tend to come back pretty quickly most of the time. And what people are usually left with, the longer term stuff, is most of the time just related to the olfactory nerve. Um, which is going to be flavor. Okay. Okay. And I shouldn't say just because even that in itself is, you know, for most people, a pretty big deal. But honestly, I've met people in clinic that, you know, yeah, I lost my sense of smell. Not that big a deal to them. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. Well, <laughs> it's a big deal to me. I know for majority of the people that I don't know, and I don't know if it's just because all of us love food so much and the preparation right. of food, this is a big deal. This is a yeah. really big deal. And when right. I was doing your course, I was absolutely never as a dietitian did I really think about how the loss of these senses correlates with our overall well-being, specifically our psychological well-being, that mental yeah. emotional piece. So can big you time. talk to us a little bit about that? Because this was really, really um, eye-opening for me with having a better understanding of empathy and understanding of what my, my loved ones were going through, because I never took that into consideration. I was kind of just like, Oh, big deal. You lost your taste, you know, not really understanding the true impact. Right. So, um, yeah. And there's actually been a couple of, um, studies, you know, that's the upside of COVID. Not that I would ever say, you know, pandemic is a good thing. Um, cause it's not, but, there's been a lot more people to study and there's been more research. Um, and it's been shown, you know, thousands of people with post COVID smell loss um, interviewed and roughly 50%, you know, and, and the, um, the numbers are a little bit, some are a little bit more, but that's on average. 50% um, of people with smell and taste loss post COVID um, report depression and anxiety. 
and significantly reduce quality of life. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's documented. Right. So I recently just attended a um, psychological, it was a neuroplasticity and psychology type of event around, uh, centered, centered around anxiety. And I was really fascinated to learn because I didn't really take this into consideration that the reason we're seeing such an increase in this anxiety is due to the fact that the olfactory center is directly attached to our amygdala, which is Mm -hmm. the the fear center, the the survival mechanism in our brain to keep us safe and alive. And I never really took into consideration the importance of this mechanism and how it is having negative consequences on those that have lost their taste and smell due to the fact that they're in constant danger. They can't smell the smoke alarms. They can't taste the bad food. So can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And, and you're right on. It's um, if you, and I do show this actually in my course, if you look at the neural pathway of olfaction, out of, you know, compared to every other sense that we process, it is the one that is most um, directly linked to the limbic system, Mm -hmm. which has to do, you know, with our survival. Um, And we tend to think of, we tend to think about the pleasure aspect of smell, and we forget about the survival aspect. But really, Mother Nature gave us the sense of smell for survival. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. You know, and I think a couple things happen um, when it's just the loss of the information. There's a disconnect. A lot of people describe it as um, feeling as though they're living behind a pane of glass, mm-hmm. separating them from their actual world. Mm-hmm. Uh, people talk about the impact of bonding, you know, the mother that can't smell her baby. Yeah. Um, and, and not just in terms of I can't smell a dirty diaper, but I, you know, there's that primal right. um, smelling of each other that facilitates bonding. Yeah, yes, the connection mm-hmm. and, and that is lost. And for some people that's, you know, really acutely felt. Yeah. And so that can really impact the whole nurturing and bonding aspects yes. of relationships. So absolutely. So for a person who's going through this, I mean, my imagination senses, gosh, this must be a real feeling of complete isolation and loss of connection to so Mm -hmm. many different aspects of our well-being and to our actual physical world. Yeah, it is. It is. And, um, you know, there's the disorienting piece of it. And then, you know, the flip side of that is for the 50% of people um, with smell loss that are recovering, they get parosmia, which for those that don't know, that's when as your um, olfactory neurons are regenerating, a couple different things happen. One, there are certain compounds that we sense at much, much lower thresholds than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, not all of our smell receptors are coming back to life at the same time, so to speak. Okay. So we smell an incomplete picture of the things around us. And for some people it's absolutely vile and they cannot walk by a kitchen. They cannot smell food cooking. Well, they can smell it, but they gag and sometimes literally have vomiting Mm -hmm. and are horribly sick to the point that, you know, I've actually known of uh, a woman that I heard speak in the UK who was hospitalized for an eating disorder because of this. Oh my gosh. You didn't have an eating disorder. Her parosmia was so bad that she couldn't choke things down and keep them down. Yeah. And if you think about it, right, we're hardwired for survival. So what do you think happens when you've got, you know, a plate or a protein shake or meal replacement or whatever the heck it is that you're trying to get down Mm -hmm. and every fiber of your being, because your smell is distorted, every fiber of your being is telling you, don't eat this, don't eat this, you might die. And you have to get it down anyway. Right. Like, what do you think that's like? And, right. and for people to be in this constant state where their fight or flight, freeze, flee, all of that, mm-hmm. um, 
response is triggered, you know, there's, there's long-term health consequences of that and short-term, right? Absolutely. Our thinking is distorted. We can't do um, complex tasks mm. when we're in that state of brain function, right? Mm. Yeah. I think that this is a really, you know, these are a lot of really great points to bring up for the audience, because if we're not directly impacted by this loss of smell and taste, there is a good likeliness that we're interacting in our environments with many individuals who are suffering from this. Right. I think just by raising the awareness and kind of talking about these things, I know for myself, I specialize in working with mental health. And I know that here in the state of California, the mental health world has exploded over the last two years. We There, there aren't enough facilities to mm-hmm. help support everyone who is suffering with immense depression and anxiety right now that has been perpetuated over these last two years with all of the uncertainty. And then we've got the COVID and, you know, the spiked proteins and what's actually happening to our inflammatory uh, systems and chronic, the chronic consequences that this is presenting for so many people. So I I think that this is a really great conversation to bring awareness around so that if we're not directly being impacted by this, it can help at least have um, elicit some empathy and understanding of what others are going through and how we can better help support not just ourselves, but our loved one as well. So this is, this is just such fascinating information. So with you know, you were kind of a pioneer paving the way in 2017 before this was really becoming a a mainstream problem. So what are some of the things that through your own personal experience, as well as going through, uh, you know, your professional experience as a, as a PA kind of talk to us and, and talk, what are some of the things that we can start to do to recover or at least move in the right direction. And then another question I have for you pertaining to the parosmia piece, Mm -hmm. is this a good sign? Does this mean we're progressing in the right direction? Like, can we get excited? (laughs) It actually is. Um, And I've actually had, um, I had a interesting discussion with uh, one of the people actually that took my course, who is also a good friend, um, who's dealing with horrible parosmia for the second time. And she and I were talking about, you know, can your mindset override this fight or flight thing that's going on all the time? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, mindset's powerful, right? Absolutely. Um, And, you know, I I didn't have severe parosmia. I had three months of smelling cigarette smoke all the time, which wasn't horrible because by that time I knew it was a good sign. Okay. So it's kind of like something burning. Yeah. Well, it just, it literally smelled like cigarettes. Oh, interesting. And I smelled it everywhere, but every time I would become aware of it, I would just remind myself, okay, this is a good sign. This is a good sign. So is this like a phantom memory that's being elicited? What's actually happening here when we're smelling this constant burn? Well, so a couple of different things and different things happen to different people at different times, but there is, um, what I was experiencing really was, is it's called phantosmia. Okay. So it's a constant or it's a perception of a smell when there actually is no odorant present. So there was nothing there making me smell that. Um, But I smelled it everywhere I went for about three months. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) With parosmia, there's a trigger of some sort. Okay. Um, And it's often things like coffee, onions or things from the allium family. So onions, garlic, chives, leeks, all of that. Things that are browning. So when they're cooking, even toast in the toaster, mm-hmm. or say they're browning meat to make a stew or something, the browning reaction, um, you and I know that's called the Maillard reaction. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, the Maillard reaction can really trigger people a lot. And it's funny because often they'll associate, well, it's meat, it's bread. Well, maybe it's not meat or bread. Maybe it's the fact that you're in the presence of it browning mm-hmm. and then that's triggering you and then you can't eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the, yeah, those are the main, um, the main things that tend to be parosmia triggers for people. Okay. Do, have you seen eggs being one of those as a, yes. 
Yes. And actually, I had a brainstorm the other day, and maybe somebody out there listening can try this. Um, and I have a couple people actually in my neighborhood that I can test this on. I don't know if you've ever had these and my, you know, my functional health people will probably go, oh my God, you couldn't tell somebody to eat that. Um, but eggs are also a great source of protein, right? Right. Um, when we traveled to China to adopt my daughter, one of the things I ate there that I fell in love with are these hard boiled eggs mm -hmm. that are marinated in, there's lots of different recipes, but basically a combination of soy sauce, black tea, um, anise, sometimes Chinese five spice, probably some green onions, although you could leave that out. But mm -hmm. I wondered the other day, I wonder if somebody with parosmia would find that enjoyable because there's no Maillard reaction. So there's no browning. Mm -hmm. They don't have to smell it cooking. And if we can take the onions and garlic out and really infuse it with something real umami, mm -hmm. that that might be something, you know, something that could work. That's interesting. Yeah, because I know that one of my girlfriends who has lost, you know, has ha been impacted with the parosmia eggs is one of them that it literally mm -hmm. makes her vomit the second yeah. that she starts gagging and physically wants to vomit the second she smells eggs cooking. Yeah, and yeah. This has made it really challenging for her to be able to meet her protein needs because yeah. meat specifically is um the trigger for her everything yep. smells yep. rancid and so yeah it's, it's been getting really challenging for her to come up with um adequate breakfast ideas that right. are incorporating quality protein to meet her yeah. needs yep protein is is one of the bigger challenges um and what i would say and i'll get back to your original question <coughs> which is what did i do to find helpful but for somebody where their parosmia is that bad, mm -hmm. um, sometimes you got to just focus on survival and know that getting well-nourished is key to your healing mm -hmm. and whatever we need to do to get you well-nourished, which might look like, you know, meal replacement shakes several times a day. If that's mm -hmm. what it takes, that's what it takes. And no, that's not what I would want somebody to do long term. But if right. that's what they need to do to not be gagging and vomiting and not to be constantly having their, you know, their parasympathetic nervous system triggered. Right. Um, well, and with hopefully, the... hopefully I have that straight, my sympathetic and parasympathetic. Yes. Yes. Um, so, I well, and, and that's such a good point, because when it comes to the protein aspect, when we aren't tolerating protein very efficiently, especially the animal proteins, this can create some even more consequences with deficiency and being able to produce neurotransmitters to support that whole mood, motivation right. type of right. um, aspect of it. So it becomes a very you know, vicious negative feedback loop that perpetuates the whole depression and anxiety even more. And then, you know, it's frightening when you say that there's, you know, people who are getting hospitalized with eating disorders as a result of their loss of taste and smell. And I'm sure we're also seeing the opposite, overeating, right? Can we talk yep. about, can we talk about yeah. this? Absolutely. And actually, my very first client um, I started working with because she actually she developed post viral anosmia, then parosmia, but it was actually a year before the pandemic started. So she was well into the throes of bad parosmia. And she had basically gone a year where all she could eat was peanut butter and jelly and donuts. Wow. She could not, you know, she had to leave the house. She's Italian, mm -hmm. very Italian. Anytime somebody was cooking, she had to go lock herself in another room. Wow. Couldn't get down any vegetables, couldn't get proteins down. There wasn't really any help out there, at least not that she could find. Mm -hmm. And she developed fatty liver disease. Wow. And that and, in that Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, well, she went about a year yeah. with PBJ and donuts. Wow. So, you know, and weight gain and all kinds of other metabolic alterations. So it happens. And unfortunately, I think what happens for some people too, even if they know they're going to get better or they know that they can get better, they sort of just um, push it to the wayside. And 
you know, yeah, to a certain degree, okay, maybe you, you have to allow somebody to have a little more fat than typical and know, okay, you know, their cholesterol going up, you know, two points for the next year while they try to sort this out isn't going to, you know, cause them a heart attack or right. using an extra sprinkle of, you know, sea salt or whatever. Right. Um, so they can get their vegetables in. That's okay. You have to let up a little bit. But I think a lot of people just throw the baby out with the bathwater and stop tending to their nutrition altogether, mm-hmm. not realizing the importance of that to support them in healing, not just from, you know, a smell loss recovery, but from getting well themselves. Right. And I think we also miss, you know, we miss the boat when we have in our mind, well, recovery can only look like everything comes back to exactly like it was before. Right. So, you know, kind of reevaluating our expectation of what our new normal is in terms of our olfactory senses. Right. Right. And, and just being aware that we can improve a whole lot and it might not be just like it was before. You know, me, for example, I probably have 25% of the threshold um, for smell that I had before I got that nasty virus a few years ago. Um, So I don't smell as well. My husband can make coffee in the kitchen and I can't smell it from across the house. But you know what? I can come out here and go, oh, okay, that's coffee. I'll stick my head in there a little bit. That smells good. I can Mm -hmm. enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I can enjoy food again. I can enjoy cooking again. Um, It's not like it was before, but, you know, it's better. So let's, so let's talk about it. How can we get back to a place where we can train ourselves to enjoy the experience when there has been so much loss that, yeah. you know, we, we've had to deal with? Yeah. So I think the first step is understanding that, um, you know, and it really feels for the person that's lost their sense of smell, um, it really feels like you've lost all pleasure in your life. That's not the truth, but it really does feel that way. And I think just acknowledging that, yeah, it really does feel like that and it feels horrible, um, but it's not necessarily the truth. And with time and, you know, maybe a good support group and some coaching um, and smell training, which we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. But in time, we learn to find pleasure in other things and realize, okay, those things have always been there. I just wasn't paying attention to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's hard because smell is just, it's so accessible to us, right? right? We don't have to work at it. So one of the things I found super helpful, and I had put this in place actually years before I lost my sense of smell, but I think it was key in my recovery. And I've actually talked to other people that have been in recovery long-term with this who agree with me and that's a regular mindfulness practice Mm -hmm. Um, and it might be a meditation it might look like something else but i actually had done a pretty intensive eight week um, mbsr mindfulness-based stress reduction course Mm -hmm. several years before and i had that practice in place so even though i was really mad that this happened to me and i really felt like all pleasure in my life was gone Having that in place allowed me to gradually find the pleasure again, create it if it wasn't there, mm-hmm. um, and then get really, um, really get an action about ch- changing somewhat the way I was putting meals together so that okay. they would be they would be interesting to me. Okay, so this whole practice around mindfulness. This is really an opportunity where we have the ability to create that neuroplasticity, right? Absolutely. And key to part of creating that neuroplasticity is a consistent practice and engagement, utilizing the imagination and trying to recall the experiences Mm -hmm. from the past, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. In terms of smell training. And what I always tell people too, is think about if you had a horrible car accident today and you had to learn how to walk and talk again, mm-hmm. you'd be doing a little bit every day, right? maybe a lot every day, right? but it wouldn't be, you know, 15 minutes once a week, right? You have to have regular doses. So, um, 
same thing with playing an instrument or getting better at playing golf or whatever it is. Right? So, so for someone like myself, who's super impatient, <laughs> right? <laughs> I know, I know that one of my life lessons is learning patience here, but being really impatient and kind of being indoctrinated into this whole idea of, you know, instant gratification, quick right. fix, we take the band-aid approaches. We know that those approaches aren't working for this. So right. how does one kind or of Or anything else really, but well, agreed, agreed, <laughs> absolutely. But for someone who is really stuck in that mindset around, uh, you know, my world has ended, I no longer have quality of life, this is just, what's the point? What steps do you suggest to approach the mindfulness piece in a way that they're going to be more open to engaging into it repetitively? How do we get started? Yeah. You know, you could do lots of different things. Um, you can get yourself a smell kit and start smell training. And and regardless of whether you do a mindfulness practice outside of smell training, mm -hmm. smell training is the one intervention that has consistently shown that people, you know, people that smell train compared to people that don't smell train, regardless of what other intervention was applied in the study, the ones that train get better. Okay. Um, so you have to I've, do it every day, so twice I've a day. Got, I've got some oils here you in do. front of me. So awesome. ones that I understand can be really good are, so what I've got here in front of me are clove, rose, some lavender, as well as lemon. So can you talk to the audience? Talk, talk to us about what yeah. smell, tra or smell, <laughs> smell training is and how they can get started with that. Okay. So basically what you're doing, and I actually have a little kit that I'll show you here in just oh, a sec. Fabulous. A couple of kits. Um, you can smell train with anything. You can smell train anywhere, anytime. Okay. The more you do it, you know, the more, the better. Now, you know, that doesn't mean spend 18 hours a day smelling stuff. Um, <laughs> you can go take a perfumer's course if you wanted to do that. That's something I've actually thought about doing. Um, but pick, you know, to make an actual smell kit. And the sense, most of the sense you just described came from um, a gentleman named Thomas Hummel, who's a physician and researcher out of Dresden, Germany. Okay. And he did the very first studies on olfactory training. And he used to keep things consistently and mm -hmm. to have a scent that have a combination of scents that represent something different. So he's got lemon for something citrusy, clove for something spicy, rose for something flowery, and then eucalyptus um, for something kind of resinous. But the other thing about eucalyptus is people feel it, even though oh, they don't smell it. Yeah. And often that can give a little bit of encouragement because when you're sitting there, you know, you're training, you're training, you're not actually experiencing anything they at least most of the time will have that maybe as something to demonstrate that, okay, okay. there is some information coming in here. Okay. Is that going. kind of the, uh, the vapor that is released from the smell yep. of the eucalyptus? Yep. And that's triggering your trigeminal nerve, like we talked about. Okay. Okay. That makes yep. sense. Yeah. So you could start with those, um, Typically what you want to do, and I'll, I'll show you, and I have a couple different ways I do this. I'll show okay. you one of the um, things I have. So I have a bunch of these little inhaler things that I made. Oh. These are plastic, and I supposedly the essential oils can react with the plastic over time. Okay. There's actually a little wick in here that holds... Can you see that? Yeah. Um, so it's got little holes and the scent comes out, but there's a wick inside and you can put these together yourself. Okay. Um, and this has jasmine. I've got a little thing of about 20 of these here that I'll play with. Um, but essentially you want to have the scent go back and forth under your nose okay. for about 20 seconds. And you, you want to just, you know, breathe normally mm -hmm. or do what um, Chrissy Kelly calls bunny sniffs. Um, Chrissy Kelly's the one who started Absent in the UK. Okay. He was, she was the only person out there when this happened to me. So lucky for me, I found her quickly and learned oh, wow. about smell training and took her course. But essentially just a gentle sniff. And for about 20 seconds, you're going to really vividly 
picture in your mind what you remember this thing smelled like. Okay. So this is jasmine. I had a jasmine plant. I smelled jasmine in Hawaii. Mm, I would think about that. Yeah, me too. So I would think about that, do about 20 seconds, cover it up, wait a minute or two, and then do another scent. Okay. And typically you want to try to do about four, you know, and practice with the same ones for a few months, twice a day. Okay. So literally, I mean, you can do this in five minutes, twice a day. Mm -hmm. And and honestly, it's such a great mindfulness practice as well um, with just kind of giving ourselves a moment to reconnect, do a little reflection and offer some gratitude for the experiences that we've had when it comes to recalling these senses. You know, right. we, you and I both know the importance of memory and the association of memory when it comes to food and pleasure and right. just overall, you know, increasing quality of life. So by giving right. ourselves these few moments to reflect and try to engage with recalling that, I think is a really great opportunity for so many yeah. different things, but most importantly, reducing that perceived stress response in the body and connecting with breath and bringing more breath in to help support that parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing I want to show you too about um, the smell training kits, because what a lot of people will do is just smell from a little bottle like this. Okay. Um, And this is a kit I have. I actually found, I found my new, um, (laughs) I found my new partner. So I do the nutrition stuff. I do the service. She does the stuff. Okay. Um, so my partner there, Julie, is um, she's in Southern California near you. And awesome. she got COVID when she was pregnant and had horrible parosmia when she was pregnant. Ooh. So she founded Smelp. And what she's done in the kits is what we recommend, which is you have something, a container that's non-reactive. Okay. And what you see in here, this little white is just a little disc of um, watercolor paper. Okay. And then you would put your oil, whatever it is in this kit has four oils and four little tins like this. Okay. Travel thing. Put about 10 drops of the oil in here. It's going to get absorbed by the paper mm-hmm. and then you use it this way. And because this has a nice big opening, it's going to disperse enough to give you um, enough olfactory, enough particles getting into your olfactory area. Okay. Whereas if you just sniff from the bottle, this teeny tiny little opening, right? Mm -hmm. We all know what these look like. Right. You know, if you're just sniffing from here, not a lot of information coming out. Right. So your kit. That's a helpful tip. Yeah. I like the little inhalers um, for travel, but that was actually before I met Julie and she's put this together in a nice little travel pack. There's four, four different little um, jars in here and each one of them has um, an oil so you can recharge your kit okay. after about three months. So, so you definitely want the scent to be getting up. So is there anything specific that we should be looking for in these essential oils that we're purchasing? Because I know that they're not all created equal and some can be more hazardous than beneficial. So what tips do you have for the consumer? Well, I would say do do your research. Um, Try to find something that's um, certified organic. Mm -hmm. I've even started using um, some essential oils to really for flavor in food, but it has to be food grade. And the only food grade ones are from doTERRA from what I understand. Yeah. Um, And they seem to be the most potent. Mm -hmm. I have some others. Um, I don't sell doTERRA anybody. I probably should, but I don't. Um, (laughs) Thank you you for the disclaimer. (laughs) Sure, but do your own research. But, um, you know, it can be a really nice way as you're starting to recover and you want to practice maybe like rosemary for me is one of the ones I couldn't smell rosemary for the longest time. And it's one of the scents that I really love. Um, so I would actually put a couple drops of rosemary in a soup. So because I couldn't pick it up at really low levels, it allowed me to start sort of teasing it out. Yeah. And finding it again. And that makes sense because with these, you know, these oils, they're fat soluble, right? So they, Mm -hmm. they like to uh, attach to that fat and there's probably going to be a greater sense of us actually being able to taste that if we're consuming it through the the fatty quality. Yep. 
And, and the other thing I would say too, for somebody with smell loss is um, don't overly restrict fat because fat carries flavor. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, you heard this in my course that right. I tell people, you know, liberalize your diet as much as you possibly can when you're recovering, because it's just cruel, you know, to try to get somebody to live on a completely unpalatable diet. You know, yeah. if it's not going to affect their life, you know, their, their health in the pretty immediate future. Right. You know, give, yeah. give them a little grace. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely on that. And I think that's such an important point to emphasize because there has been so much loss in quality of life and so many components, wherever we can kind of bring back that sense of pleasure to enhance the well-being is necessary as a means to an end right now to, um, yeah. to just enhance overall well-being. You and I both know the importance of mindset and belief systems around our abilities to get better. So if we have completely restricted all pleasure in every single aspect of life, the likeliness of us being able to overcome is going to be diminished quite significantly. Right, right. Right. Okay. I I wouldn't want that. Um, So one other thing I was going to say, and I've developed a tool which um, you can actually get, um, I've included it in my, <coughs> in my online course. And it's a little thing that people can print and it makes a little table tent mm-hmm. that you can put next to where you eat. And it reminds people, okay, maybe you don't have smell and therefore flavor, but you probably have sweet, salty, bitter, sour umami, mm-hmm. at least to some degree. Yeah. You have texture, you have color, you have sound, you have mouthfeel. You have all these other sensory aspects of food. You have, you know, the visual environment around you. You have the sound around you. You have the sound of biting into a crunchy apple or what did I make the other day? A salad with pear, celery, and walnuts. Mm -hmm. That made a fun sound. You know, (laughs) just to really bring to light, okay, these are all the things you have. Let's really hone in our attention on what we have. Mm -hmm. And, um eating suddenly becomes a lot more interesting. Yeah. So what I'm hearing as a theme here is that mindfulness and gratitude are two key components at our ability to kind of maybe not necessarily recall 100%, but at least have the ability to overcome and create some joy in our life through the use of food. I think so. You know, and I would caution that too in that, you know, we have to grieve a little bit too. And sometimes that means saying, you know what, pardon the expression, but this really sucks Mm -hmm. right now. This really just does. And, you know, I'm angry. I'm upset. I feel lost. You know, we can't grieve without acknowledging, you know, the pain, right? Right. Right. We just don't necessarily want to stay stuck there because usually nothing transformational really happens out of staying stuck there. But also give ourselves permission to, um, to voice that experience and to be heard. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sadly, what's really hard for a lot of people is we're just not seen and heard about this. Yeah. We're often told, oh, well, you should be grateful. You don't have cancer. My next patient just has cancer. Right. And and I would agree with you. And I really like that you are bringing this up for discussion, because I think that for those listening who maybe haven't been impacted by this, like myself, but are surrounded by loved ones who have been impacted, this is so such an important conversation for me to hear and to have yeah. so yeah. that I can show up and hold that space for them and allow them to express those emotions um, because I'm not experiencing it. So I, I don't know what right. it feels like. And I haven't had the, you know, the depth in which I've been impacted by this. I've had it in other ways. So for me, it's a reminder to take an opportunity to ask questions and to be a better listener and offer up, you know, whatever support I can give to those that are suffering right now. So for the person who's been grieving for a year, loss of taste, we've been (laughs) grieving for a year. What advice do you have for me? Would that be your husband? <laughs> well, maybe not necessarily my husband, but there's a lot of others out there who, you know, are at that point. Yeah. It's been a year. Yeah. 
we've lost taste. This has have a, had a negative impact on, um, on our life. How do we get back into the world? How do we start engaging again and start reclaiming that quality of life? Yeah. So, so a couple of things, you know, one, um, if you have not had an ENT take a look at you yet, and it's been that long, mm -hmm. you definitely deserve a really good look under the hood. Um, okay. you know, and you may want to approach it and tell the ENT, Hey, look, I'm not looking for you to give me hope or give me a cure. You know, I have other places to get my hope. Just look in there and make sure I don't have a tumor, Okay. you know, or an infection or something that has some other, you know, fixable solution because there are things, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes, sometimes there is something, you know, structural, physical, infectious, um, that needs to be remedied. Right. Yeah. So if you haven't done that yet, definitely do that. Um, start smell training. Um, certainly, you know, you can, you can reach out to me. I offer, um, and we'll get to this, I guess, toward the end, Heather, Heather, um, periodically I will offer, some um, breakthrough sessions, what I call food as medicine breakthrough sessions. Okay. Um, and food as medicine for the person that's having trouble, you know, in, in the area of food. Mm -hmm. um, I'll offer some breakthrough sessions where we will spend some time getting really clear on what optimum health looks like for that person mm -hmm. and um, help help identify some blind spots, the things that stop us from getting better. And that's going to be different for different people, right? Absolutely. And then um, in those sessions, you know, we conclude with some actionable steps that somebody can take to get unstuck. All right. So that's, um, that's one thing, but um, outside of just what I do, um, if, if, and always check with your healthcare provider. Again, I can't give specific, you know, person specific advice, but a couple of things have been shown to be helpful. And one is omega-3 fatty acid supplementation. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's currently a study that has concluded, I haven't seen the article actually published yet, but the um, preliminary data actually looked encouraging. And that makes sense because our neurons um, require omega-3 fats to sustain themselves and grow and heal. Mm -hmm. And then another thing, this is relatively new, and I'm not sure I even put it in my course, Heather, because um, it just came out when I was just learning about it, but I'm going to show you guys because it's a big old word, but um, palmitoyl ethanolamide and okay. luteolin. It's okay. a combination supplement. And they did a randomized double-blinded placebo-controlled trial in Italy. Mm within the past year, year and a half. And it was published, I want to say just in the early summer. And that actually showed significant improvement um, in people that trained and took the supplement versus those that just trained and didn't take the supplement. Okay. Interesting. So check there... with your healthcare. Go ahead. I was just going to say, check with your healthcare provider before starting, you know, any supplements. Okay. And is there um, anything specific with that supplement that they should be looking for? Because we know they're not all created equal. Right. I would just make sure um, you find a company that does independent third-party testing. Okay. And then as like, far as the mm -hmm. omega-3s go, um, are there any foods that you recommend first to get, you know, good yeah. quality omega-3s from? Yeah. If, um, if you're not grossed out by um, oily, wild-caught fish like salmon, mackerel, um, those kinds of things, wild caught, because the farmed fish doesn't have the same fatty acid profile as mm -hmm. um, wild caught. But if you can get a few servings, you know, two to three servings, uh, about a four ounce serving. So that's about the size of the palm of your hand mm -hmm. three times a week. That's a great start. What about sardines? How do sardines fall in there? And is that a Same. good option for using to uh, flavor the food and give it that salty component without having to actually use salt? Yeah. If, if, you, if you like sardines, my daughter and I like them. We eat them fairly often. Um, again, you want to look at, ideally look at the packaging, look for you know, BPA-free. Anchovies um, as well. Yeah, same thing. But those can be a really good source of um, umami. It can be a real flavor booster okay. and um, support your omega-3 fats. And then the plant-based um, things, you know, some, some of your nuts and seeds and mm -hmm. 
um, things like that. Sometimes those are hard to get down when you're um, when you're dealing with parosmia. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Wow. So much to think about yeah. here. I mean, yeah. really, it's it's been an incredible conversation. And I'm really glad that you are bringing so much awareness. You've created this program for other practitioners like myself to help have a better understanding and how we can serve the communities, uh, you know, to meet their individualized needs, because everyone is so different. Everyone has been impacted so differently. Mm-hmm. So there's a- and that's the thing, you know, and, and for for even for dietitians, you know, the first time I I um, did a talk to a group of dietitians, I saw a lot of eyebrows go up because she kept asking me questions. Well, what should they do? What should they do and what it's like? And I said, well, it's different for every person and it's different for every person every day and it's different for every person every day at every meal. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to be able to teach people you know, the bigger picture and the bigger strategies. Um, And that's where individualized, you know, help can be really care, can be really helpful. And that's why my first mission really in um, doing something with this is to try to get dietitians to know everything I've learned. Well, I can tell you firsthand how incredibly helpful your course was. I had not taken into consideration so many components that were associated with this olfactory loss and doing your course really helped me have a better understanding. And also it gave me tangible action steps that I could take as a practitioner on how to counsel and support those that are at a loss right now. So for any dietitians listening, and is this course open to the public or is it only practitioners? Good question. So I have a practitioner version um, and you don't have to be a practitioner to take it. And I always, you know, I've been saying to people, you know, you have to become your own dietitian anyway. Or if it's your kid that's dealing with this, you're going to become their dietitian. So, mm-hmm. you know, you may as well do it. I am actually going to duplicate the course and just change a little bit of the focus. Okay. Consumer, <laughs> you know, what we would say consumer facing, but more, right. more patient centered. Mm-hmm. Um, or caregiver centered. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's anybody, you know, listening now that really wants to jump in there, they could do that. And I am actually going to deliver the course live again, um, November 13th. Let me look at my calendar. I keep forgetting the dates. Um, let me get the right month here. Yikes. And of course, my computer is... <laughs> locking up. I want to say the 13th and the 20th. It's okay. the, uh, it's two Sundays in November, okay. Sunday afternoons, and it'll be about two hours each time. Okay. And I've thrown in some, um, even more experiential exercises that are going to be really fun. Oh, fun. Yep. I think, and people- I think those experiential are so important because it helps boost confidence when we have the tangible hands-on action steps that we can take while being guided yep it really does help with boosting the whole confidence and self-efficacy piece of it to keep us moving. So five years, you've been met, you know, 2017, here we are getting ready to go into 2023 already. What's kept you going? Oh gosh. You know, my mindfulness practice, uh, some, some gratitude for the little bits of recovery that I had. Um, my family who was kind enough to tell me, um, I don't know if you've seen the video, um, where I was interviewed, but one of the first things I did when this happened to me, cause I was so angry is I took all my cookbooks and I threw them in the garage in a big box <laughs> and I took all my perfume and did the same thing. And I took everybody else's, uh, cologne and put them in the box too. Mm-hmm. And, um, my family was kind enough to say, you know what, we really know you're suffering and this is a really big deal to you. Um, and you don't need to make us suffer too, you know, that's not necessarily fair. So they, um, they were kind enough to tell me when I was a little bit out of line and they've, you know, it's funny, they listened and now we sit down to dinner and they've got my whole, you know, food strategy down. I'll set something and my daughter will take a bite and go, mom, this, this really needs some capers in it, you know, or this needs some olives or something. They, they know 
all the little things that I've started doing to make things more enjoyable. And they actually enjoy it more that way now too. So you have had to be in some, uh, somewhat dependent on others to help guide you when preparing meals for the groups. You've kind of had to be dependent and is that? At the beginning, yes, especially as far as um, safety stuff. Although being a dietitian, I'm already pretty, pretty OCD about, Food you know, safety, yeah. time and temperature and, hand washing and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, every now and then I would have them sniff something. Now now I've had enough recovery that if something's really off, I think I can tell. Okay. Well, this is exciting stuff and I think it gives a lot of people hope, but most importantly, it gives so many more of us understanding and how we can be there to help support those that are suffering right now. Mimi, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your expertise, talk about your personal experience with the audience. Where can the audience find you and how can they get connected with you and your work if they're looking for some more individualized guidance with this? It's uh, it's easy. They can find me at lostsmelleatwell.com. Ooh, I love that. Thank you. And uh, that's that's the website. The email is uh, Mimi at LostSmellEatWell.com. Um, and then on, I have a Facebook group, um, Eating Well When You Can't Smell. Uh, so cute. And then, and then there's uh, the same on um, Instagram. So in honor of Thanksgiving this month, I'd like to share a very special opportunity with everyone. In my business, sometimes I offer something called a food as medicine breakthrough session. And these are typically valued at around $175. Although I've seen a lot of other people that do similar things to what I do charge a lot more. From time to time, I'm able to gift a few of these sessions to people who are really committed to using food to meet their health and wellness goals and are struggling with the impact that smell and taste challenges have on that. So it just happens that today, in celebration of Thanksgiving this month, I'm able to gift five of these sessions to five of you listening to the podcast. What we do in the session is create a crystal clear picture of what optimum health looks like for you, because it's different for everybody, right? Then we'll explore the hidden obstacles, or what I like to call blind spots, that have been keeping you from being the healthiest possible version of yourself. And not only will you leave the session inspired, you'll have some tangible next steps to get you unstuck. So to request one of these five slots, go to my website, lostsmelleatwell.com, and right on the main page, you'll see a block with a big blue old-fashioned telephone that says the word intrigued with a question mark. Just follow the instructions here and I'll reach out to you and set up a time for a video chat. I do this on a first come first serve basis and it's not something I do all the time. This offer is only good through the end of the month. So if you really wanna dig in and get my undivided attention about meeting your health goals through nutrition, even in the face of smell and taste disturbance, go ahead and reach out today and claim one of these sessions for yourself. Okay. I will make sure to link all of that in the show notes so that it makes it easy for individuals to um, find you and access you. I know you're going live with this program uh, on the 13th and the 20th. We're going to probably air this on the 14th. Is this something that they will be able to get as a playback? Yes, absolutely. Um, For registered dietitians, um, for CPU credit, you have to attend the live version at the moment, but I am going to record the lives, re-upload the videos and submit it for um, for CPUs um, for the evergreen version. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yes, it will it will still be available in a different format, um, just with different details around the CPE. But. The information will still be there. Excellent. Well, this is exciting stuff. I really appreciate you dedicating your, you know, your life to uh, helping the cause or helping create solutions for those that have suffered, you know, just like yourself. I feel strongly that everything is happening for us in some way, which can be difficult to understand um, in the moments when we're suffering. But 
for you, you've been able to take this experience and turn it around into something that can benefit others and help serve a larger population. So I think that that's awesome that you've had the capacity to take this and turn it into something so much bigger. Thank you. It, it seems I was just gifted this task, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think that we all have very specific little tasks that we've been gifted with and, and really learning to see the blessing and that can be um, a game changer in quality of life uh, moving forward for, for all components and for all of us in some aspects. Well, thank you again, Mimi. And for everyone out there, make sure that you head to Mimi's website and check her out. Um, I think that this course is beneficial for all, not just those suffering from the loss of taste and smell, but those that, um, you know, have loved ones and uh, clients and patients that are also suffering. I think it just really helps us have a better understanding of the big picture, how it's all connected and you know, we can't compartmentalize. We have to look at the bigger picture and how mm-hmm. everything is correlated when it comes to our mind, our body, and the spirit. So thank you again, Mimi. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Heather. It's been oh, great. Our pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. Do me a favor. And if you loved this episode, please go leave a review. Reviews help make sure that this content reaches more people so that we can continue to heal as a collective. Remember to take a screenshot that you're listening and tag us on Instagram at heatherbarbierrdn for a 15% discount on the Retrain Your Brain program. See you next time.